0: Thank you for downloading our audio tour. If you really want the complete experience of this tour, you should check out pictures, videos, and the other extras you can find in our free app. Download our free easy.travel app for iOS, Android, Windows Phone, and Google Glass now. Or visit easy.travel for more information. Welcome to Castel Sant'Angelo the castle of the holy angel, or mausoleum of Hadrian, as it's also known. Look at the particular cylindrical shape of this building. Almost 2000 years after its construction, it still serves as a landmark in this city. The reason for the two names is that when it was constructed, it first served as a mausoleum for the Roman emperor Hadrian and his family and later also for his successors. The latter name it got from the legend that Archangel Michael landed on top of this very building as a sign of the end of the plague that had been terrorizing Rome for years back in the 6th century. Look up at the spectacular Baroque angels that have been added during time and that further emphasize the latter name of the castle. The archangel looking down upon us from above today was added a few hundred years ago, and the one that it replaced can be seen in one of the patios inside the castle. This place has an intriguing history. After serving as a mausoleum, the castle was turned into a military fortress and served as a place for the Pope to hide in times of war. Many years later, A tunnel was built from the Vatican to ensure the Pope's safe escape to this fortress. A treasury room was also organized in what used to be the very crypt that housed the urns with the ashes of the emperors. During the castle's days as a military fortress, many of the original decorations were lost or destroyed. Some, like the original statues and outdoor decorations, were even used as weapons to defend this building and the people within it. When the Goths invaded Rome 1500 years ago, the statues were thrown down upon them. Some of the missing decorations have curiously been found in other places throughout Rome, like the capstone of Hadrian's urn, that is now to be found in St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican, just around the corner. It is supposed to have found its way there and first served as a decoration of another tomb and later as part of a Renaissance baptistry. As the old pagan gods were abandoned and Christianity took hold of Rome, all the pagan temples were destroyed and many of the decorations were in fact reused in this matter to honor the new god. Ironical, isn't it? After years of serving as a papal prison, this magnificent castle is now a museum, and luckily no more executions are to be witnessed in its courtyards. Today, peace rests upon this ancient building, and if we don't want to enter the museum, let's at least climb up and see the views from its heights. Once upon a time, the tallest building in Rome. After that little adventure, Let's move on to the next stop of our tour. Welcome to the Sistine Chapel. This holy building is named after the man who ordered its restoration 500 years ago, Pope Sixtus IV. The exterior might not look very impressive. Like many other medieval and Renaissance churches here in Italy, it is totally unadorned on the outside as you can see. The beauty and fame of this building lies within, in its interior and also in its functions. You are standing in front of the official residence of the Pope in the Vatican City, and it's here that the traditional process of the papal conclave takes place every time a new Pope is to be elected. If a successful election has resulted in the appointing of a new Pope, white smoke comes out of the chimney. If no result has been concluded in the elections, and no pope has been elected, black smoke comes out. The other reason for the fame of the Sistine Chapel, we have to enter to see with our own eyes. Well, now that we are inside, you can see what we are talking about, right? The building is adorned from floor to ceiling, with masterpieces by painters of the Renaissance among which Michelangelo and Botticelli are the most famous. The group of painters made the impressive frescoes of the life of Christ and the life of Moses that you can see over there. They also added several portraits of the popes that are to be seen just above the frescoes. For views of the famous painting The Last Judgment by Michelangelo, just tilt your head back and look up above the altar. It is believed to have been a complete game-changer in Western art. And it is surely a masterpiece without comparison, don't you think? The piece was very controversial, showing naked bodies in this house of God. And the cardinal ordered it to be painted over. As a response, Michelangelo depicted the cardinal as Minos, judge of the underworld, in the painting. Also, look up at the ceiling where you can see Michelangelo's famous work, God's creation of the world, God's relationship with mankind, and mankind's fall from God's grace. Above the windows are other works of Michelangelo, depicting the ancestors of Christ. We are lucky to see these masterpieces at all, as Michelangelo considered himself more of a sculptor than a painter, and wanted to decline the Pope's request at first, continue working on an enormous marble sculpture that he had going on. The Pope convinced him though, compromising and letting Michelangelo choose the motifs. Not only did that multi-talented Renaissance man make these marvellous paintings, but he also constructed the intricate platform he used to reach up there. His ingenious solution let him work without interfering with the painting or making holes in the ceiling. The amount of fantastic art in here is enough to keep anyone busy for hours. So, when you're done admiring some of the world's most famous artworks, it is time to continue our walk through the ancient city of Rome. Welcome to St. Peter's Basilica. Here we are in front of the Principal Church of the Pope, and the burial place of one of Jesus' Apostles, and first Pope of Rome, St. Peter. This is one of the two biggest churches in the world, and it's regarded by the Christian world as one of the absolute holiest sites. Look at this imposing Renaissance building with all its splendid decorations and columns, and the two gigantic statues of the Apostles Paul and Peter on each side of the stairs, On top, you see what has for 500 years been one of Rome's most precious landmarks, the Dome. The Basilica was built on top of an ancient burial site, where many Christians, executed by the Roman emperors, were buried, amongst those St. Peter. He was crucified head down, on his own request, as he didn't find himself worthy of dying the same way Jesus Christ did. An ancient Egyptian obelisk inside the Circus of Nero witnessed him becoming a martyr and is now preserved inside the Vatican City. At first a simple stone was marking St. Peter's grave. Petra meaning stone in Greek is how St. Peter got his apostolic name. Later a shrine was built and a few hundred years later a small church was constructed here. The impressive building we are about to enter now dates back 500 years and was built on top of the ruins of the older church. Get in by the entrance on St. Peter's Square and enter into this spacious cruciform building and now start looking around at all the altars, the tombs of several popes and the majestic sculptures by the finest of Renaissance artists. Walk along the aisles and check out the different chapels. At the very center of the basilica you find the chapel of the confession which refers to the confession of faith by St. Peter for which he was executed and granted martyrdom. Do you see the marble stairs? They take you to the old Constantinian church beneath this church where St. Peter's bones were found during the excavations in the early 20th century. There is no end to the tremendously exquisite marble decorations, reliefs, and sculptures in the niches and chapels. Do you see the ancient chair used by many popes symbolizing the line of apostolic succession from St. Peter and up until today's pope? One of this holy site's most cherished artifacts indeed. Don't miss the famous Pieta by none other than Michelangelo or the impressive collection of sculptures and the baldachin above the papal altar, sign Bernini. After you've had your fair share of holy artwork, it is time to go back outside and enjoy some outdoor views of the city. Welcome to Piazzale Giuseppe Garibaldi. After this strenuous hike, you are now standing on top of the Gianicolo Hill. Here at this square, away from the hustle and bustle of the streets below, you can enjoy one of the greatest views of Rome. If you are here at sunset, you will surely take photos that provoke an avalanche of envious comments amongst your friends. At that time, this is the perfect spot for a romantic tete-a-tete or to relax after a hectic day full of sightseeing. If you are here at midday, you will share the space with families, children playing or riding the carousel, and you can relax for a bit, having a snack or an ice cream from some of the kiosks up here. You can also go visit the puppet theatre behind the kiosk to catch the Napolitan Pulcinella show, put on here every half hour on weekends. Listen up for the everyday salute, fired at noon, to commemorate the Italian Republic. Now, let's go visit the man that gave name to this square, Giuseppe Garibaldi. His statue dominates this hilltop, and he deserves a mention, since he was the general of the revolutionary troops that helped unifying the Italian Kingdom in the late 19th century. And now, last but not least, The views. That is actually the main reason why we are here. Look out over the modern day Rome, where so much has remained the same since the times of the Roman Empire. The views span from the Colosseum on the right, which indeed bears witness of the old empire, past the cupolas and shapes of the Vatican that we just visited, to end up to the left, where you can see Villa Borghese that marks the end of this tour. Just imagine how much we will have seen and experienced when we finally reach that point. Below, you can see Trastevere, the old part of the city that we are going to visit next. Welcome to Santa Maria in Trastevere, or Our Lady in Trastevere. This sanctuary has a long and interesting history. It is said that this is the first church dedicated to the Virgin Mary, Jesus' mother. And this site has been a place of worship for almost 2,000 years. In the early days of Christendom here in Rome, there was a shrine exactly on this very spot, in fact. This is one of the oldest churches in Rome. The oldest part of the structure of this church dates back to the fourth century, while the newer part of it has been added 900 years ago. Look up at the typical 12th century campanile, as well as the mosaic of the Madonna and child from the same era. The motif is very representative of the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. The humble beginnings of this church began when the Roman emperor gave some land to the Christians in an attempt to settle a dispute between the Christians and the bar owners. This used to be a place for retired soldiers, but when the church was built, starts the religious history of this place. And throughout the years, it just got more and more popular with worshippers, coming from near and far, and the pope making this one of his parish churches. Many of the famous popes buried underneath these grounds. Let's go inside. The old mosaics are impressive and deserve a mentioning. They are the works of Cavallini. A curious detail is that of the nave. Take a closer look at the Ionic capitals, taken from old ruins of either the Temple of Isis or the Baths of Calacala. The figures used to have faces, of course, but when they were discovered to be pagan gods, during a restoration 150 years ago, they were brutally hammered off, leaving us only with our imagination to fill in the blanks of what they must have looked like. Take your time to stroll around inside the church to get a look at the altar, the chapels, and the paintings in the ceiling. Then time has come to step back out into the sunshine and enjoy what many would say is their favorite Italian invention ever welcome to Fior di Luna this is a very special place although it might look like a normal Italian gelato shop anywhere in Rome but the truth is there is nothing ordinary about this place all this delicious gelato that you're probably already having a hard time stopping yourself from drooling over is made from organic and fair trade ingredients. And as if that wasn't enough, the flavors are so intense, it is like an explosion of wonderfulness in your mouth. There are some without sugar, and some delicious fruity sorbets, some made from yogurt, and so on. The list never ends. Depending on what time of year you are here, the flavors will change, since the locally produced fruits and berries vary from season to season. Should you visit in the winter and feel like something warm, their Chocolato Caldo is your best bet. Hot, creamy chocolate so intense it will warm your heart and soul as well as your body. But what about the ancient Romans? Did they really indulge gelato all day long during the hot summer months? in between the sessions of mortal entertainment at the Colosseum? Sorry to tell you that in fact they did most certainly not. Despite being one of Italy's most beloved and marketed products, the gelato only dates back to the 16th century. It is believed the Persians as well as the Chinese did eat sorbet-like ice cream, or really shaved ice with added fruit juice, sugar or spices, several thousand years ago. When introduced in Italy, the granita, which is the slushier form of sorbet, became popular with the court of De Medici in Florence, and then gradually all over the country. Visiting France, the custom of offering granita at every meal spread around Europe. Milk was added to the ice cream a few hundred years later, and the success of gelato has since been ever increasing. Go on, make your choice and order three wonderful flavors of this amazing gelato. And if you wonder why the flavors are so intense compared to normal ice cream, the secret is that in Italian gelato, they add milk instead of cream, which makes the real flavor of the tasty ingredients really come through. Yummy until the last spoonful. Welcome to the Church of San Crisogono. This is another of Rome's parish churches, and just like the church of Our Lady in Trastevere, this one also has a long and glorious past. Dating back to the fourth century and rebuilt several times later, ultimately in the 17th century, it holds some ancient secrets for us to reveal today. The exterior is mostly from the 12th century. The beautiful façade with the bell tower bears witness to the typical architecture of that time. But let's go inside, for that is where we are yet to find the hidden past of this sacred building. Look at the beautiful floor mosaics and the high altar from the 17th century. What exquisite artwork! As is often true for the Roman churches of this time, there is, of course, a splendid painting in the ceiling. This one depicts the glory of St. Chrysogonus. The columns are taken from other older temples in Rome, and the frescoes of the crucifixion were transferred from other churches nearby. But what of the hidden secret, you think? Well, go over to the sacristry and venture down the stairs. Here you will find several old ruins. Below the church there is actually an older hidden church that has been excavated and has a lot to tell us about early Roman life. And not only is there the old church, but also some earlier Roman houses. Look around you and you will find some basins. The excavators and archeologists aren't really sure, or at least do not agree upon what these were used for. Some say they were pools for baptism by immersion, while others claim it is more likely they were used as laundry and dye houses as this was a commercial area at the time. We will surely not be able to tell, but just looking around at this ancient site gives us the chance to get swept away by time and imagine Rome as it was during the time of the Roman Empire. When you have come back to present times, it's time to take a leap back outside to find a place to spoil our taste buds with the finest Roman food. Welcome to Trattoria d'Ateo. As you can see, this is a place that would fit in any Italian movie. The cozy outdoor seating area in this quiet little square is just adorably genuine. This family-owned little trattoria is popular amongst locals and tourists alike, so booking a table in advance is strongly recommended. Here, in the heart of Trastevere, we are lucky to find such a gem, where the food is as it has been for generations, unchanged by tourism, genuine and delicious. At Dateo, where Teo himself actually works in the kitchen, you can be sure that everything you put in your mouth is carefully selected, really well cooked and seasonal. So let's have a seat at this charming terrace from where we have a perfect position to overlook the piazza. Let the waiter advise you in the choosing of a wine, but really you cannot go wrong with any of the Italian reds here. For starter, there are mouth-watering artichokes and porcini mushrooms, If you don't feel like ordering pasta, which is normally considered a starter here in Italy, as you surely know by now. The pasta is cooked to perfection, al dente, and with a flavorful sauce, no matter which one you choose. In season, the white truffle is to be tried. It is really a delight. The food is as good as if you would be invited to the home of an Italian mother, that cooked for you, amazing in an easily appreciable way. For second course, the lamb or oxtail. Or why not try the fish or seafood if you prefer something lighter? Whatever you do, don't miss the delicious Roman coffee and one of the savory desserts before you leave Dateo and continue on our guided tour through the streets of Rome. Welcome to the Colosseum. In this fantastic remnant from the Roman Empire, you can really sense the time fly by and bring you back almost 2,000 years in history to year 70 AD or so, when this landmark was constructed. Back then, it was known under the name of the Flavian Amphitheatre, after the dynasty of emperors that had it built, during an impressively short period of 10 years, short, if you consider the simple tools used back in those days. It is believed it was built to commemorate a great victory in the great Jewish revolt and was placed symbolically in what was already then the center of the city. This impressive work of Roman architecture still remains the largest amphitheater in the world. And in its day of glory, it could hold around 80,000 spectators. Today, it is on the list of the new Seven Wonders of the World. If you look up at the facade made of concrete and stone, try to imagine it swarming with people wanting to enter to get a glimpse of the various types of entertainment that used to amuse the Romans. There was no end to the imagination of the creators of the public spectacles when inventing new shows. Apart from the famous and often deadly gladiator games, there were also animal hunts, reenactments of famous battles, dramas, executions, and mock sea battles to choose from, quite a spread, one must admit. So, to do as Romans, we would either come here and cheer for someone getting killed, one way or another or watch a mythological drama of some sort. We would sit according to our class. The rich and famous got the best seats, and the lower classes got the rows in the back, farther away from the action. The gates through which the noble class and the senators entered were richly decorated. As you can see, not much of the decorations remain today. The stadium was laid out in a way that people could enter and exit fast, through the numbered doors, and easily find their seats in the numbered rows, much like today's arenas, in fact. Fortunately, the bloody entertainment came to an end in medieval times. And later, the Colosseum was used for other, more peaceful purposes. The Christians used it for religious orders, as a fortress, and for workshops. So why the change of name, one might wonder? The Flavian Amphitheatre was the name used back in the Roman Empire, and now Colosseum is the most common name for this bombastic building. Well, there used to be a gigantic statue of Emperor Nero close by, named after the Colossus of Rhodes. After Nero's reign ended, the face of the statue was changed into the faces of the pagan gods, adding the appropriate attires. As new emperors came and went, they changed the head to their own likeness. This statue was believed to hold special powers, and it was upon the Colossus that the Roman fate depended. A famous epigram tells us the importance of the statue. As long as the Colossus stands, so shall Rome. When the Colossus falls, Rome shall fall. When Rome falls, so falls the world. The Romans weren't exactly famous for their humility, and as a matter of fact, they did control the greater part of Europe, northern Africa, and a piece of modern-day Asia in their great days. The entire Mediterranean area was under Roman command. However, the Colossus did fall, and so did finally the Roman Empire, and the name came to be reused, As the Flavian Amphitheatre. And in front of us, the Colosseum still stands. After investigating this marvellous architecture, it is time to move on to our next stop. Welcome to the Roman Forum. Forum Romanum. You are now standing on truly historic grounds. This was one of the Roman Empire's most important gathering places. But the history of Forum Romanum goes even further back in time than the Roman Empire. This area, in between the two hills of Capitolina and Palatina, was what kept the clan of the first king of Rome Romulus and his rival Titus apart. When they settled for peace, this was where the beginning of the new empire would stand. Back in those days, this area was nothing but wetlands so a complex covered sewer system, Cloaca Maxima, was installed to drain the land and make it suitable for construction. This was several decades BC, when many other cultures still lived in caves. Impressive, right? When the Roman Empire began to flourish, so did Forum Romanum. Little by little, this area filled up with important buildings, temples, statues and shrines for worship. Every important ruler added his touch and his own contribution to the architecture and layout of this place. The result was a lot of different buildings with different functions seemingly scattered around the Forum, lacking an overall plan. The Forum was used for everything important of the Roman Empire. This was the centre of public life, a marketplace, the place where elections and processions were held, where everyone went to hear public speeches or to watch criminal trials. Let's go over to the southeastern edge. Here we find the oldest remains of what used to be the royal palace, the Regia, located here in the 8th century BC, even before the rise of the Roman Empire. Here we also find the Temple of Vesta that dates back to about the same era. Now, in the northwest, we find some pagan shrines, as well as the Comitium, the area where the Senate and government assembled. Look at the ruins of the Basilica Julia, offices and a meeting point for the Senate, built by none other than the famous Julius Caesar. Tragically, Caesar didn't get to finish the rest of his planned development of this site, as he got murdered in the year 44 BC. This is where his body was publicly burnt, and a temple was built in his honor by his great nephew Octavius Augustus. Here in the Forum, the cut-off head and right hand of Caesar's enemy, Cicero was displayed to the public after his downfall. Augustus added the Arch of Augustus. Diocletian reorganized and cleaned up the infrastructure some hundreds of years later, and the Forum kept its importance as the political center of the Roman Empire until its fall about 1,500 years ago. This place was left to abandonment until the 18th century, when excavations that went on for 200 years started, leaving us with this impressive testimony of the Roman Empire. Now, let's move on to other important Roman grounds. Welcome to Campo dei Fiori, the field of flowers. What a poetic name for this square, don't you think? The name dates back to the Middle Ages, when this was a meadow full of flowers. It wasn't until the 13th century that the construction started around this square. First to set their historical and architectural mark on this place was the Orsini family. You can still see the Orsini Palace over there. It was renewed a few hundred years later, when more buildings were added to the square, and the area was paved to make it more suitable for street life. Also, take a look at the church on the corner, Santa Brigida, that has been overlooking the ongoings of this square for over 600 years. This square has kept its spirit from the early days up until today. It is still a centre of commerce and street culture in the heart of Rome. Proof of the commercial use of the square is that the surrounding streets all have names of different kinds of trades. Like Via dei Balestrari, the crossbow makers' street, Via dei Balari, the trunk makers' street, and Via dei Capillari, hat makers' street, amongst others. Pope Sixtus IV added some new streets for easy access to the square and included it in the Pope's road Via Papale, which is the route the Pope takes from the Basilica of St. John Lateran to the Vatican after his election. A famous horse market used to be held twice a week here, which attracted lots of restaurants and inns that settled around the square. You can see one of them still standing, Taverna della Vacca. Like many other public squares in this city, this place was also used for executions for some hundreds of years. Looking around the square, can you see the monument of the Dominican friar, mathematician and philosopher Giordano Bruno? He was executed exactly on the spot where the monument stands 400 years ago, burnt alive for heresy by the Vatican and later considered a martyr for his free thinking. Today the square is a meeting place for young and old, Romans and visitors, and a place to relax, have a gelato or a slice of pizza, and rest your feet at the foot of San Bruno. Does that sound like a good idea? Then let's move on to the next stop that is right on this square and return to sit down where we have found what we are looking for. Welcome to Forno Campo dei Fiori. For over 40 years, this little bakery has delivered absolutely delicious pizza to anyone who visits the historic grounds of Campo dei Fiori. This place claims to follow the same genuine recipes and to use only high quality flour and the best olive oil in the everyday making of bread and pizzas, just like they did in their humble beginnings. Visitors from near and far as well as Romans that have lived here for generations, consider this place to be one of the best places to go for a takeaway pizza slice or a delicious panini. So how about trying some of the mouth-watering creations of this bakery? The pizza rossa, for example, tomato, oregano and olive oil to keep it simple. Or the pizza bianca, olive oil, mozzarella, rosemary and salt looks delicious. And how could you go wrong with locally produced genuine pizza or bread made in the heart of the capital of the home country of pizza? If you are more into sandwiches with filling, go to their other shop on the opposite corner where you can indulge in a delicious filled pizza bianca. Why not try the classic combination of ricciola and brisaola or the prosciutto crudo and mozzarella? Here. You can also get a sweet pastry for dessert. Grab your purchases and go over to the fountain or back to the foot of the statue of Bruno. Have a seat and do like the Romans. Enjoy a simple lunch on this bustling square in the heart of Rome. After this delightful stop, it is time to move on, for the city still holds plenty of interesting sights for us to explore. Welcome to Piazza Navona. Look around you. Do you see the vast open space that makes this square? The reason for the size and shape is that the square is built upon an ancient arena, the Stadium of Domitian, that dates back to the first century AD. It is believed that the name Navona comes from the ancient word for games, the games that the Romans used to come here to watch. Today, There are no games anymore, and there hasn't been since the 15th century when this became a public space with a city market as main attraction. Look around at the splendid examples of Baroque Roman architecture. Not only is the square lined with palaces, like the Palazzo Pamphili, dating back to the 17th century, but it is also full of statues and sculptures. The monumental value of this place is undoubted by any visitor. Let's get closer to the magnificent fountain over there in the center of this square. This famous piece of art is called Fontana dei Quattro Fiumi, the fountain of the four rivers. And most of it is the same age as the palace. Most of it, since it is topped by an older splendid obelisk taken from the Circus of Maxentius. There are other fountains on Piazza Navona as well. Fontana del Moro, which displays four tritons and a moor wrestling a dolphin. At the opposite side of the square, you will find the statue of Neptune decorating the third fountain. Before you leave, don't miss to investigate the beautiful church of Sant'Agnese and the speaking statue from 1501. Now you wonder if this ancient statue could at any point in history really speak. Not with its own voice, but with the voice of the Romans, that used this statue to attach derogatory social commentary onto. Very curious indeed. Now, time has come to go on to the next stop of our tour, another mythical place here in Rome. Welcome to the Pantheon. No wonder this is one of Rome's most popular sites. Can you believe that this well-preserved, splendid piece of architecture has been standing here for almost 2,000 years? Look at the impressive concrete dome up there. Did you know that it still remains the world's largest unreinforced concrete dome? This ancient Roman building has basically had the same use since the 7th century, and it became a church, in honor of St. Mary and the martyrs. The name Pantheon comes from Greek and means relating to all the gods. It is unclear whether this has ever been a temple dedicated to more than one god, though, since in ancient Rome, temples had to be dedicated to one god in particular. This rule was applied in order to know which god got offended if something happened to the temple and also to make clear to whom the sacrifices were intended at the altar. Some sources claim that the vaulted dome resembles the heavens, and that this might be the reason for the name. Anyhow, the pantheon was, in the beginning, part of a much larger complex, also including the baths of Agrippa and the Basilica of Neptune. Do you see the inscription above the columns? In English that reads, Marcus Agrippa, son of Lucius, made this building when consul for the third time. This, for a long time, made archaeologists think that this is actually the original pantheon by Agrippa. But it later turned out that his temple was destroyed by fire, leaving only the façade untouched. The rest of the temple is believed to have been rebuilt twice, last time 1900 years ago. Inscriptions on the façade also bear witness of the later reparations made by other emperors. Some adornments have been stolen, moved to Constantinople or the British Museum throughout time. But most of Pantheon has kept its former glory. Inside Pantheon, most of the interior is intact. It has long been used as a tomb, and here you can find famous artists composers and painters, as well as two kings buried. So, take a good look at all the exquisite marble and all the decorations before it's time to move on to another landmark. Welcome to Fontana di Trevi, the Trevi Fountain. This is no doubt one of the world's most famous fountains. The history of this fountain goes way back, to 19 BC. When the source of pure water was found by Roman technicians with the help of a Virgin 13 kilometers outside the city center, look at the facade of the fountain and you can actually find a scene that depicts the legend of the Romans and the Virgin that found the water source. By constructing an aqueduct, the water was led to this point where three roads crossed, Trevi, and the fountain served the Romans need for fresh water. The pure water was also led into the hot baths of Agrippa, located nearby. For several hundred years, the aqueduct served imperial Rome with water through that advanced transportation system. The old fountain wasn't perceived as fancy enough by the Pope, however, so after several architects had competed about building a new one, in the 18th century, a Roman artist named Salvi got the honourable task. He died after finishing half of the fountain, after making sure to hide another artist's work behind a gigantic vase that you can see amongst the other sculptures. The fountain was later finished by other artists. On the theme, in Rome do as the Romans do, you might want to throw a coin into the fountain for good luck. It is believed that you have to throw the coin with the right hand over your left shoulder. Many are the visitors that throw coins. In fact, 3,000 euros are thrown into the fountain every day. The most famous scene from Fontana di Trevi is undoubtedly the one where Swedish superstar Anita Ekberg takes a bath in the fountain in the Fellini movie La Dolce Vita, also starring Italian actor Marcello Mastroianni. As bathing in the fountain is strictly forbidden, we have to stay here watching this baroque masterpiece from dry land before we continue a few steps to watch some famous steps welcome to the Spanish steps from Piazza di Spagna the Spanish square we have a great view of the steps climbing the steep hill all the way up to Piazza Trinita de Monti. the Spanish square got its name after the Spanish embassy located here and the area was even considered Spanish territory back then. The church on top of the hill was French, and the idea was to connect the Spanish square with the French church. The French king was financing the project that resulted in these 135 steps. They date back to the 18th century and are amongst the most famous in the world. The French had planned to place an enormous statue of the French king on top of the stairs, but that was taking things a bit too far, according to the Pope, that hastily made them discard that plan. Down here, at ground level, take a look at the fountain with the interesting name Fontana di Barcaccia, Fountain of the Ugly Boat. This is an example of an early Baroque fountain built back in the 17th century by one of the Pope's architects, who, according to legend, depicted a boat brought here by a flood from the Tiber River. Now, look at the right of the piazza. See the house on the corner where the steps start? The English poet John Keats used to live there in the 19th century. If you are interested in his life and work, you can enter as it's now a museum. Also on the right side, further up the stairs, is the palace of the former cardinal from the 15th century? The building has been altered during fascist times and now boasts modern terraces overlooking the famous steps. When finally reaching the top of the hill, we have easy access to Villa Medici. To do as the Romans do, do not eat your lunch on the steps, as that is actually forbidden. So, After relaxing and taking photos on the steps, we shall continue our route to get something to eat elsewhere. Welcome to Antica Enoteca. This classic wine bar in the center of Rome is a watering hole for Romans and tourists alike. To do as the Romans do, order a glass of Barolo and dig into the Antipasti. This is a great place for an afternoon snack, lunch or to start the evening. The food is genuine Italian food, simple and delicious. Try different kinds of wine by the glass or if you find your favorite right away, order a bottle to share with your company. This Enoteca has a great selection of wines from different regions by the glass so you might want to opt for trying a few different ones with your food you can stay for hours sampling the delicious antipasti olives ham and cheeses taking in the italian atmosphere of this genuine place choose to sit by the bar in the cozy indoor setting with its dark wooden details contrasting against the whitewashed walls giving the place a rustic feeling or on a sunny day why not go for one of the few tables outside? We can spend the afternoon people-spotting. If you are hungry, order some pizza, after sharing a plate of antipasti, and munch away as you watch the everyday Roman life pass by, by foot or on the classic Vespers. Let your visit here take its time and spend hours enjoying the food and wine, just like the Romans do. After your strength has returned and you feel relaxed, full and ready for some more walking, we are headed to the last stop of our tour. Welcome to Galleria Borghese, the Borghese Gallery and Museum. Look around these splendid gardens, the Villa Borghese gardens that used to belong to the former party villa here in what was back in the 17th century Considered the outskirts of Rome. The gardens used to house a number of different birds like swans, peacocks and other exotic creatures. The owner used the house for parties and leisure, and started his art collection here, with works by, for instance, Caravaggio. He also threw in a few of his own sketches in the collection, that later also came to consist of sculptures, paintings and antiquities. But the economic situation changed for the Borghese family, and neither peacocks, nor the maintenance of this fancy villa was that easily fitted into the budget anymore. In the 19th century, Prince Borghese, the brother-in-law of Napoleon, had to sell some of the Roman sculptures and antiquities to the emperor to finance his family's expenses. Therefore, we would have to go to the Louvre in Paris to admire some of the sculptures formerly belonging to the Borghese collection. Today, the villa and the parks belong to the government and are open to the public. Let's go inside to check out the splendid remains of the collection. In here, we won't be disappointed just because some objects are no longer to be seen here. Surely, 20 rooms full of antiquities from the first century AD, classical sculptures, and painted ceilings will be enough to impress even the pickiest of visitors. So take your time to stroll around this magnificent two story villa, where many of the paintings and busts actually are placed as they were intended during the days of the Borghese family. After you are done admiring the fantastic variety of art from different eras of the history of Rome, this tour has actually come to an end. We hope you enjoyed it.